Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my soundcloud page and free podcast on itunes again our studio number 3104410555 before i start the show i wanted to announce the book of the week for this week it is the strange order of things by antonio damasio the strange order of things life feeling and the making of cultures and this is a really interesting book. Um, I'm about 50 page, pages in. Very deep. I'm definitely taking my time with this one because uh, it's written in a very um, in a scientific way, I could say. But it's really interesting and looking forward to sharing it with you. An announcement about that. Monday will be Memorial Day, so I won't be doing a live show. So I'll talk about this book next week on Wednesday's show. That's The Strange Order of Things by Antonio Damasio. All right. Uh, So I wanted to start off today's show talking about something that I talk about a lot, which is feelings and emotions, but specifically looking at families and how they deal with feelings. Uh, On Sunday, I did my seminar on communication, focusing on parenting and relationships. And a big part about um, the whole seminar was that when we think about communication, oftentimes we think of how do I speak better? How do I talk in a better way? But more of what we need to do is actually listen better and create space and connection to allow our partners or our children to communicate with us, to speak to us. That's a big part of it. It's more about listening than speaking. But what I want to talk about today related to that is the way that families tend to deal with emotions or even more specifically how families tend not to deal with feelings and emotions. Because I work with a lot of families and of course individuals and just talking to people in my personal life, you see how often people grew up in families where emotions and feelings were not talked about, were not dealt with, were not acceptable, and people felt like they had to deal with their emotions on their own. And it's really heartbreaking um, when you talk to people and they say, I, I was you know, really angry or really sad, or I didn't even realize how sad or angry I was, but there really wasn't space for me to share it. I didn't feel okay to talk about my feelings, so I dealt with them on my own. Or even I wrote poetry or did paintings or expressed it in some other way and maybe even I kept those things from my family because I felt like even those would be expressions of my emotion that were not acceptable and it's really heartbreaking and so it's up to each one of us to really ask how okay do we make it in our families to talk about feelings and really this is more towards the parents because they have 
the biggest impact or really they set the tone or create the culture of the family and they can create a culture where emotions are discussed emotions can be addressed and talked about where it is okay to share how you feel even if it's not something pleasant or even if someone doesn't agree with it or even if it means you're upset with someone or hurt by someone in the family we can dictate how okay it is or we can make the culture of our family be that feelings are not discussed that we prioritize what we call logical or rational thinking over emotions or we only focus on practical things and not emotional things and we ourselves don't express our emotions or express them in unhealthy ways and unfortunately most families are more of this second type where the focus is on getting things done the logistical things getting to classes and practices and schools and whatever else and grades and those types of logistics but emotions take a back seat or really aren't even included at all and that's really unfortunate because to help do this we first have to become okay with the emotions ourselves and that's the problem most parents also grew up in families that were the same way where feelings were not okay where having feelings was not good where sharing your emotions was not encouraged where feelings and emotions were not validated and mirrored and reflected and valued and that's the problem so we first and foremost as parents have to do an inventory with ourselves how okay am i with emotions with talking about feelings with feeling my feelings um, accepting them as they are or do i think of feelings as these just messy annoying things that get in the way of living life the way we might think it gets in the way of being productive or doing things that we actually think matter not realizing that our feelings really matter and maybe even matter more than anything else so we have to ask ourselves that and then specifically what emotions am i okay or not okay with many people think of happiness as a very okay emotion you can be happy you can dance and sing that's great but then other feelings like sadness or anger what sometimes are called the negative feelings or some of the negative feelings because they don't feel good those ones are not acceptable and so if i'm sad i have to quickly get rid of it and also if i'm sad i will judge myself which many people do they say oh you know this happened that i'm sad gosh why am i sad about that i shouldn't care why do i care i shouldn't be sad at all and we dismiss our own feelings and so the way we tend to deal with our own emotions is more than likely going to be the way we deal with our children's emotions and that's where it can become a problem if i'm not okay with my feelings i'm going to have a hard time being okay with anyone else's feelings especially my kids and they get that message very clearly and very early on in life they can feel whether or not it's okay to be sad how you respond if they're sad how they're going to react or how you're going to react if they express some kind of emotion can you tolerate their feelings can you tolerate them being upset with you all of these things are messages that you start to send your kids from a very very young age and kids are very good at picking up on this mostly unconsciously and they learn how to deal with their own feelings based on that and they learn how to express or not express their feelings based on how you respond to those feelings from a very young age and so if you have a child who gets sad and when they get sad you overreact let's say you get overly emotional about it 
or if you get too sad about it, or if you tell them there's no re reason for them to cry or to be sad, then they're going to learn that, okay, mommy and daddy don't want me to feel sad. They don't want me to show those feelings and I should put them away. Not only that, it teaches them that I shouldn't feel these things and I'm bad for feeling these things. And so I shouldn't show any of those emotions. So we're sending them these messages. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I've seen it so much that people grow up in these families where they can't show how they feel. And it's so heartbreaking because we all have emotions. We all have feelings. We are not just rational beings that we can get rid of our feelings. Feelings are a big part of who we are and what makes us human. And even in this book, um, The Strange Order of Things, he talks a lot about feelings, and I'm really still in the beginnings to see everything Antonio Damasio is going to talk about in the book. But making feelings an important part of life is something that we have to do. It's unavoidable. It is a big part of life. It's what makes things feel good, obviously. It's a feeling. It's what makes things mean something, even that something hurts. It's a sign that something matters to us, which is not a bad thing. It could be a very good thing. So we can't take away feelings, but so often we try to do that. And when you have a family where kids don't feel that they can express how they're feeling, it's a very, very sad thing. It's very hurtful to have kids who aren't allowed to express themselves and to have emotions of their own. And so you have to ask yourself as a parent, how easy is it for my kids to express their feelings to me? How good am I at responding to their emotions and what they are feeling? Or making them feel that it's okay to feel whatever it is they're feeling. And I would guess that most parents, if they're being real with themselves, would realize that they're probably not doing a very good job at that. Or at the very minimum, they know that they can improve on being better at allowing their children to have the space to have their feelings and to validate and empathize with how their children are feeling. Because your kids are going through pain. There's things at school that come up. There's issues within the home that are hurting them, that make them sad and angry and all sorts of things. And that's part of life. So we also have to accept as parents that everyone is going to feel these things. And we're not bad parents if our kids are sad sometimes. That's part of life. They're going to be sad sometimes. Our job isn't to make them happy, but actually more to make sure they're allowed to express and feel whatever it is they're feeling. Because I can't tell you the number of times I've um, worked with someone who didn't have the chance to express their feelings. And just recently talking with some people about how they found out that someone in their family would write poetry that was really beautiful and very emotional. But one, they were writing it because they didn't have an outlet for their actual feelings, and this was a wonderful way for them to do that. But also, two, they weren't sharing it with the family because they didn't think their feelings were accepted. They didn't think their family would value that. Maybe they would even laugh at or make fun of them for having written poetry or having some kind of art. This is really sad. We're basically rejecting parts of our family. Members of our family are feeling that parts of who they are are not acceptable and are not okay. So we shouldn't take this issue lightly. And many of us prioritize rationality and logic over emotion and think it's because we're so smart and because we're so strong, but really we're missing half of what makes us human. And it's not out of our strength that we are afraid of feelings or it's not out of our strength that we push feelings away. It's really more from a sense of weakness that we feel like we can't handle them, that we can't tolerate them. 
it's not strong to not be emotional or to not express your feelings. It's more a sign of weakness. And if you can't tolerate your kids' feelings, this isn't a sign of strength. You're not able to do something that you need to do as a parent. So it's up to us to give our kids that space to feel what they're feeling and to make it okay to feel whatever it is they're feeling. You might not agree with it. You might not want to even say it's good to feel what you're feeling. That's okay as long as you validate that you can understand they're feeling whatever it is that they feel. But until you're okay with your own feelings, there's almost no chance you're going to be able to do that for them and with them. So we have to first be open with ourselves and accept our own feelings and recognize we can accept whatever we are feeling and then give that same gift to our children to give them that chance to be open and emotional with us. And through that, we can connect with them on a much deeper level than we ever can if we try to deny all of their feelings or even some of their feelings. Connection is made through the emotions. It's through the feelings that we really connect. And to not deny that to our kids and even to ourselves is a real shame. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my phone call. Sure. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I was wondering how uh, we can talk about my son. He's 36 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find out when he was 17, he had a schizophrenia. Mm. So, and then little by little, I find out he has uh, depression and uh, and uh, bipolar, so all good things happen to him. And and then uh, I've been helping him 20 years, house to house, and and any help he need, I was involved in myself with him, and financially, physically, mentally, I really I was very well helping him. I was the only one helping him. And then um, his father was helping him a little bit too, but most of the time I am the one I was involved myself. And then it was really uh, taking my energy down. Mm -hmm. So the last time it was uh, one year ago, um, finally uh, he moved out. uh, Back and forth he he came to my house, and then I find the house. I settled on his house, and then... Uh, he did for any reason he didn't want to live by himself and always complain about the different issues and then end up to come in my house and then uh, we always had argue about everything I, I wasn't it wasn't comfortable to live with me and and money wise he always always I had to support him the so last year um he he pushed me too far, and he tried to choke me, and he came to my bedroom, and I wasn't comfortable touching me, and he tried to choke me and kill me, and he wanted money. So I, I was keep 
trying to tell him, I give you money, but I cannot give you right now. So finally, well, um, you know, uh, clearly, obviously, his behavior is not okay. And even the way you kind of glossed over it, like he was choking you, which sounds horrible. But then you were still focused on, am I giving him money or not? Um, it, it seems like you're only seeing his side of things. You're not listening to what you want or what you're feeling at all. No, I was no, I was trying to help him so many times. He can I, understand me. I can understand him. Yeah, but it seems like he's not. You know, and it could. You know, his mental illness sounds very severe. If you're, I guess you're saying he has several different diagnoses, but. Um, Helping him doesn't mean giving him what he wants every time. Yeah, but I'm afraid of him. If I don't give him money, I'm afraid he comes after me again. Well, that's so that's not okay. That's order. I know. Good. Okay. Because I'll say you know what you just described is more like a, um, you know, almost like a hostage situation. Like you have to give him money or it he is. kills you. It yeah. is like that. The only reason I give him, he, he he's not allowed to come around three years my house or my work why well, it's already one year but uh, this is the first time i got older mm -hmm. but uh, my question is if i after three years if finish that order should i go to court get another order because i'm afraid he comes to my work or he comes to my house again and i don't want to involve myself with him again because yeah. i'm afraid of him well yeah that, you know look this is a really sad situation um, right. First and foremost, just we have to acknowledge that it's really unfortunate. First, just the level of mental illness it seems that he's dealing with, which is yeah. very sad. And mental illness, when it gets to those degrees, it's really sad because the person uh, basically almost goes away. The mental illness be takes over. We see more the illness than we see them, which is very right. sad. I'm sure he's nothing like the boy you knew when he was younger. You probably don't see a lot of that. Um, but that's the reality of the situation is that unfortunately he has very severe mental illness or illnesses and I don't know what types of treatment he's getting. We can maybe talk a bit about that, but it, it's a, that's the reality. And the reality is also that you really can't save him or maybe save him at some level that you might be hoping for, thinking or still wishing for, and that unfortunately life might be a struggle for him no matter what you do. I'm not saying yeah. we don't try to make sure he's taken care of the best way he can be, but um, it, there's no solution where if you give him the money or give him what he wants, he's going to be okay or life is going to be easy for him. And also, we have to make sure you take care of yourself. You can't live your life in fear yeah, of anyone, even your son. And I think, of course, being a mom, I'm sure there's some things you have, you know, judgments or uh, assumptions that you have or biases of what a mom is supposed to do or that a mom is you know supposed to have unconditional love so you never can turn your back on him i don't know if that's how you feel but some people can feel that way because of that relationship of mother but you, you can't sacrifice yourself just to give him what he wants even and especially when even what you if you give him what he wants he's not going to be okay so um I'm not going to tell you you should renew the court order in three years or not, because that's a decision you're going to have to make. But I think what's important to look at is what are you thinking and feeling about it, because uh, that's going to be what's going to make the final decision. So what do you yourself, how did you feel doing the court order? 
Okay, how, I'm sorry, what was the question? What did it feel like for you to put a court order against your son? It was very difficult. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Because because the police came to my house and they arrested him, they take him. That wasn't first arrest. Mm -hmm. When we don't give him money, he goes involved himself even with police. The the one time he slapped police face, they put him in the jail. So we put the bond, we take him out. Three times he was in because of the money-wise and because he mentally he's ill. And uh, when we don't take care of him, he does crazy things, and we end up getting trouble, take him out from jail. Then my question is, if I give him money, and I really physically, and my finger is getting swelling, arthritis, I'm a hairdresser, uh-huh. and I cannot even work. If I give him, I'm giving him quite a good money every month because I don't want to be at the street asking money from people or, or get trouble again because of money. Hmm. And then if I don't give him money, I'm afraid he come to my work, my house, and threaten me again. And uh, I really, I'm, the reason I'm calling you bad situation, I don't know what to do. I cannot, I don't want this two years over. I, he's going to come back again. Well, I mean, you're, it sounds like you're uh, living in a, a horror movie. You know, you're just, it's you're living in fear and you're, yes, that's tough. Yes, I am. Every yeah, that's that sounds really painful, and uh, you know, th- there's obviously no easy solution, and there's a lot of different things to look at. One is that there's definitely no. It seems like there's no boundaries with him as far as I know. You you made the court order, which is good, but that he can just ask for money and do whatever he wants, and if he asks for it in more extreme ways, he ends up getting it. That obviously is not a good thing to reinforce. Does he himself, it seems like you're saying he can't work or he doesn't work at all or make any money on his own? Well, a couple of doctors, they mess him up in front of him. They told him you cannot work, you cannot get the routine. So he take advantage of that doctor. So after that, he never starts working again. I'm the one always pushing him. You have to find job. What happened if I die? What happened? I cannot work anymore. You need to find a job. And he said, well, so far you are alive, uh, you know. I need my uh, my family found or something. He's he's trying to make his story. So anyway, um, he won't listen. Mm-hmm. So I give him money. His dad gives him money. We pay his costume and college rent, food, everything. But government, I don't know if they help him or no. But anyways, if we don't, he's gonna be at trouble again. I know he's gonna go to jail again. Well, I mean, we don't want that result necessarily, but, you know, is there any form of residential treatment that he can be in? You, anything you imagine, he knows that. We take him before, and we uh, every doctor, every counselor I take him myself, and uh, help him housewife, food, everything. He knows everything. He's so smart. But he can mess it up himself with uh, not taking medication or taking beer or party. So, you know, he, he, he messes up his mind. He knows he's going to be sick. And then uh, he ends up going to hospital or people, they call the police, they, uh, they crack them. Or some, most of the time he very cracked himself when he doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But has he, so, but I mean, what about like, well, first of all, what kind of treatment is he receiving right now? Well, right now, uh, the big thing I know, he used to get um, a, a holiday in staff once a month. 
Uh-huh. And by the four, three, four uh, medication on the side, he had to take every day, but I don't know if he's doing or not. Okay. Um, the, the thing is, you know, we have to make sure he is somehow, if he can, he's responsible for part of, for his life, for taking care of himself. And if he can't, then he has to be in some kind of residential facility where they take care of him um, and, you know. They, they find him place to stay. He won't stay. Okay. He always says, Mom, the neighborhood, they are drug addicts or they are uh, ganged and uh, they are smoking drugs, mm-hmm. the building smells, so they are, he's very sensitive to smell. And uh, he always has excuse. You have no idea how many times I move from different apartments to apartments. But that's what I mean, you know, think, you right? have to, you know, that's what I mean by the boundaries. Again, your situation is a very difficult one. But without, with your, you know, we can't let him just say whatever he wants and do whatever he wants and every time give him what he wants. If he's making excuse, you can let him know this is, these are the conditions. There has to be conditions to things that, okay, this is what we can provide you. And that's nothing more than that. If he says, I'll, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me more money, say, you can't talk to me in that way. If you do, we won't give you any money. It's not acceptable. You can never say those things to me. You know, you, you have to be more firm with him because if you're not, yeah, it's just going to. He's a big guy. You th- know, that was a mistake. I lived with him. He came to talk to me. That's horrible. Yeah. I know that's I mean but you you know you can't uh, it sounds horrible but we can't make the decisions based on fear that he's if he's if that's what it is then you have to you can move to another city and you might have to just say that's it like you have to just give up you know you might have to separate yourself you have to you can't sacrifice yourself for him. Because even in my age to another city, I'm not saying you. I understand. I'm not saying that's the suggestion. I'm uh, the only idea. But my point is, you can't allow him to use intimidation to run your life, and even look at everything you're doing, sacrificing and hurting yourself so much. But he's unfortunately just you know he's kind of he can't take care of himself. He's not going to. It's not like okay, you've done all these things and worked so hard and everything is so smooth and good right. now. You do all that right. and really... Unfortunately, uh, government, they don't take care of good mental health people. Unfortunately, you know? yeah, you're right. It, it's, yeah, there should be, you know, in these situations, I I would hope that there would be more government intervention um, and, you know, something where I think he needs to be living in a facility and I understand he can say, I don't yeah. like it, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hate to say it, but really, that's that's just the way it is. He can't take care of himself. If he no. can't take care of himself and he's 36 years old and he doesn't want to do much. Now, I will say we have to look at your side of things that we're not putting a fire under him where he has to do anything, right? I mean, he right. he can just ask for whatever he needs and wants and you guys keep giving it to him. So mm-hmm. uh, we have to be aware of your guys uh, as his family, the contribution you also have in the situation that there isn't really any um, consequences I know you did the court order, but overall, still not enough consequences to his actions or his lack of actions. And so he's just able to continue and he goes and you're saying he parties and he's enjoying his life. But then you're just constantly living in fear and in stress of trying to take care of him. You you can't take care of him if he's not willing to take care of himself. He has to be taking care of himself. I did 20 years take care of him. Now I can. I'm getting older. I cannot even yeah. talk to him two minutes. Well, that's the thing. You know, in, in 20 years, you've tried so hard to take care of him, but look where it's gotten us. He's really 
not in a good place. And again, even some of that taking care of him might have hurt him because it didn't give him a chance to actually say or see that he has to take care of himself. So right. we, you know, usually think, especially as parents, that our job is to prevent the pain of our children. But oftentimes right. by preventing their pain, we don't allow them to face the consequences and see that they have to do something on their own or they have to take care of themselves, yeah. that there are consequences to their actions or their lack of action. So um, it, it is a very difficult situation. And I would just really hope you don't allow fear to be the reason why you make the decisions because that's what he's trying to use. He's trying to scare you into giving him what he wants. And that's right. obviously not good in the short term, but especially can't be a long-term solution. Um, so you have to be yeah. able to stand up to him and you might need police or other intervention. I'm not saying stand up to him as in confront him face to face when he's physically assaulted you and you're saying he's so big. No, we, you have to protect yourself. But by confront him, I mean that let him know he can't just do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And by intimidation, he's not going to get money out of you. Right. So I don't know without even police involved, um, if he, if I have feeling he's going to come after me, I can get court order and another three years, I repeat it. I don't know. Or he has to be involved first. I mean, there could be called police first. I don't know. Well, I don't know the, the logistics of it. And I don't want to tell you because, I, the, you know, it's very... It's a critical situation, so I don't want to say do this or do that because I don't know exactly what's going to happen or how he's going to react. But I would say, yeah, make sure you protect yourself by whatever okay. means are necessary. It's sad. He's your son. I, I, I can only imagine yeah. how painful this is. I send him money every month, but I don't see him. He takes the money. He won't. He's not allowed to call or come around my house. So far, he did good. He didn't try. He just takes the money. I give him money. But why, you know, I, I, but even you know, we can ask why do you send the money after how he's treated you? Because uh, I know he needs that money, and his father gave him money too. But if we don't, I know he's gonna go to jail again for different reasons. Okay, well, I mean, you know that. It, it, I don't want to say I want to see him end up in jail because that's obviously yeah, not a good solution. But but at the same time, we can't we can't just say because he's not going to take care of himself, he's not responsible for himself. No, he's not. You know, we we can't we can't give you know that's not going to work. Again, this is not a long term solution. You're already not feeling good and stressed, and on top of that, he yeah. needs to take. We're not helping him by saying you're not responsible for your life. It doesn't actually, it's not, it feels like love because we think we're taking care of him, but we're really actually holding him back in a way. So it seems like a very difficult situation. There's there's not going to be an easy solution to what you're going through. And you have to be ready for that, that whatever you decide, it's going to hurt in some way and it's going to be difficult in some way. But I would just say, one, make sure fear is not the decision maker because that's not okay. Um, two, he has to have more responsibility for himself and you have to be taking care more of yourself. And three, if he's not able to take care of himself, he has to face the consequences of what happens. And related to that, he can't just say, give me the money and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. And I'm also going to treat you how, however I want. Those things, right, you have, those boundaries have to be there. There has to be consequences to what he does. Mm -hmm. And so I know a very common uh, feeling that especially mothers can have is, well, I'm the mom, how can I ever turn my back on him? But you have right. to protect yourself and realize that when you are not treating him realistically, how the world treats him, you're actually not showing him love. So if he feels that 
I can treat you horribly and you're still going to always give me what I want and think that's loving, you're actually showing him an unrealistic view of the world. No one else will allow him to do that. And if he tries to do that with anyone else, he's going to face consequences. So it's not a loving thing even to let him treat you bad. Um, he does, yeah. yeah. It's a tough love, you know? <laughs> yeah, tough love is a hard thing. You know, tough love is not just tough on the person, especially for a lot of us Iranians, tough love is tough on the person trying to give it because they have a hard time giving love in that way or showing it that way because they're used to the soft love of just giving whatever the person wants all the time. And it's more for us that we do it sometimes than even for them. So it, it'll be good for you to realize more and more how much the ways you're supporting him or you think you're supporting him or actually hurting him and to pay attention and never for ignore the way that he is hurting you because so you saying um, that i'm supporting him giving him money i'm hurting him by taking care you, you know these things are always very complicated so i don't want to say anyone helping someone is hurting them but when he's given no responsibilities and faces no accountability for his actions that to me does hurt him because he's not going to grow. You're saying, you know, when are you going to stop relying on me? I might not always be here. Well, it could be up to you to make yourself not be there for him, to show him what that's like. You know, you're also, we have to be aware of, he's doing a lot of things that are very hurtful and painful, and, and I can understand how hard that must be for you. But you have to look at your own contribution to this situation. Both because that'll help you understand it better, and two because you can only change your side. You can't say, "Hey, stop wanting money from him, from me, to him." But you can say, "I'm going to stop giving you money." That's in your control. That's your side. So that's why I want you to think more about how you are contributing to this, because that's something you can change. And always make sure you take care of yourself too. You you can't just sacrifice your whole life for him. To again, even not even live a okay life, to always just be struggling and suffering too. He has to take care of himself. Right. I know it's not easy to live yeah. with fear. If I don't give him money, he can find me at the street anywhere, and then I don't feel safe if he's angry at me because I don't give him money. But most of the time, I'm giving him money because of my own peace of mind. So um, I feel comfortable, okay, he has money, now I can go with him. Now I can eat myself. You know, a piece yeah. of mind I have and I give him money. I understand, but I mean, that that's such a horrible situation where, you know, again, it's like a hostage situation where you have to pay yeah, for yeah. your own safety. You're, you know, you're paying your son for safety from him. It's not going to work. And that's why I, I'm not just saying, okay, cut him off today because these things, Con these situations are complicated and that might make him react in a way but you have to look at a bigger picture approach where you take care of yourself and realize that you can't just give him money out of the fear that he's going to hurt you that's not going to work and that you can't just give him money and suffer your whole life away right okay i really appreciate your help yeah I, well, I appreciate you calling i'm sorry it's such a difficult situation i wish you luck okay. and it, i know it's not going to be an easy path but hope you find a way of making it at least less bad than it is right now. Right. Thank you so yeah, much for sure. the help. Appreciate Thanks for calling. It. Take Have care. A nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. 
Oh, okay. Hi. Is it uh, Dr. Holakri? Yes, it is. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Thank you for your useful program. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, my question is regarding to dating for mm -hmm. uh, the young couple. Uh, like, uh, um, when uh, two people want to date each other and their, their intention is to get married, what are the things that they have to watch for each other to know that they are the right people for each other? Well, I mean, that's... Um that's like the million-dollar question. It's a very big question. There's not really one thing. Is there something in particular you had in mind? Are you thinking of yourself or a child? No, in... regarding to my daughter, okay. she's dating people. And then the other day she was asking for me. She was asking me that it is very hard to know who is the right person because she doesn't know what to look for. Okay. Well, first, um, well, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's 36. 36, okay. Um, well, first what's important is to make sure the person knows themselves because it's hard to know what we're going to look for when we don't really know ourselves and what what we're like and then what we want. Uh, and it is important to also think about what you want and think about the qualities that matter to you. So she has to think about what she's attracted to, what she thinks will be important for her in a partner, uh, because only she really knows what she's going to feel and be attracted to. But when you say it the way you're talking about it, it seems like she seems, feels very lost. Like, what is even important in a partner? Is is that the way it seems like she doesn't have any idea what she wants in another person? No, the reason I'm asking is because uh, she was with somebody for uh, many years, and then she noticed that she made a mistake and the person is not the right person. I mean, even though she was with that person for so many years, she still didn't know the person. That's why she's kind of scared, and she says, mm -hmm. how do I know when I'm dating somebody is the right person? Okay. Well, yeah, it is hard. And even you know the person for such a long time, and then you realize you don't know the person. So that's why she's a little bit scared, you know? Yeah. She wants to make sure that she's taking the right person yeah so did the person show the one she was with did that person show a side of themselves or do something that surprised your daughter that was shocking or just she realized one day i don't think i like him very much or i'm in love with him yeah but you mean the other relationship that she had yeah her? was there something like was it like oh i thought yeah, i knew like him he went up to after being so many years, like over 10 years, they knew each other. Mm -hmm. And then um, the time of getting married, she realized like uh, almost like a month before the, the wedding, everything uh, just went upside down. And the main cause of it was um, the mother that was too much involved. And then he was following the mother too much. Like whatever the mother said, he was like he couldn't say no, you know. So... Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen, so she's kind of scared now. That how do I know people? Like she says, even though she was with that person for so many years, she didn't realize how he is. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is um, what's hard about getting to know someone is it does take time, and people can still surprise us, and we never fully know someone. So there's always lots of risk when we're getting to know another person that. They could have sides we don't know. And then when marriage comes, especially in a lot of Persian families, family could get involved and that could create conflict and tension. Uh, but it seems like your daughter's a little bit 
scared or because of this previous experience, now she's afraid that when she's getting to know someone, she doesn't know them. So the trust of who they are is something that she's experiencing. So she has to make sure she has come to terms with what happened with him, with that ex, before she can really date and give someone else a chance. And that's really uh, one of the things we always have to do is we have to make sure we're ready to date. And it's yeah, not she's just... ready to date now. Well, but I mean, maybe she thinks she is, but maybe she's not fully there because she's still hung up on what happened with the last last person. How long ago did that end? It took another three years to end. Okay, well, that's... So the marriage was planned a month before the wedding. She called it off, but they stayed together three years? He did it. What do you mean he did it? No, I mean he called it off. And then, and then it took two years that my daughter realized that uh, she has to stop that relationship. It doesn't okay. go nowhere. All right. Well, it seems like maybe your, I mean, just, I don't know all the details, but your daughter was not looking at what was maybe in front of her because, you know, if he calls the wedding off, that's a pretty, that's a huge red flag, especially after they were together 10 years. Um, something wasn't right there. So maybe she was afraid to end the relationship. So it's not just that, you don't know who you have in front of you, but sometimes we don't want to see who's in front of us. We don't want to see the situation. So it could have been that, you know, if you ask me, someone calls off the wedding, that's a huge, that's kind of a make or break kind of moment. It's not just, okay, let's keep dating. Usually that's a very rare situation. So maybe she was afraid to lose the relationship. And so because of that, she didn't want to see what was in front of her. Yeah, but whatever it was, now she doesn't. She's ready for dating other people, and she's dating other people now. No, I know, but uh, but you're, what I'm saying is we have to make sure we learn from what's happened, and also we can maybe realize things about ourselves from what we experience. Because if she keeps telling herself, "Gosh, you never know who people are," and maybe there was something surprising about this guy, she might be missing the part that she wasn't looking at what was actually there. So, yeah, so it might have been more clear. You know, someone could say, you know, I've, I've seen people stay with people for many, many years and then they break up and they saw what was there the whole time. They just either they're afraid to date someone else. There was something about them, even though it was bad, that was familiar to them. And so they wanted to stay. But for a host of reasons, they might stay with the wrong person. So it's possible that your daughter, um, it wasn't that this guy just out of nowhere surprised her and did a 180 in who he was, but that maybe she was missing who he was for a long time and had a hard time ending things. And so that's kind of a lot of what she experienced. Um, so she can tell you she's ready. I'm not saying she's not, and she shouldn't date anyone yet, but I'm saying she really needs to think about what happened. And we, especially from a 10, 13 year relationship, whatever it was, she has to make sure she one heals from that loss, but then two learns a lot from what happened in that relationship, both about herself but also about looking for someone and and what she wants and all of those things so um th that's kind of what, what i'm thinking and what you're describing is we don't want to just gloss over it and say okay she's over it now and wants to move on it's not about living in the past but making sure we learn from our past because it can tell us a lot about ourselves um yeah and to me it looks like she put everything in the past and she wants to move forward 
and I understand that I'm not, a, and I'm not again saying live in the past, but we have to learn from the past. If we just say, okay, it happened, I don't care, let's go, I want someone new, I want something fun, let's go and have fun, that's not going to work. Oh, you mean to get a lesson from the past? Yeah, we have to learn from what what happened that she was in this relationship that maybe was not right for so long. What happened when they called off the wedding that she stayed three more years? You know, there's a lot probably that she can learn. So I think a lot of times people, because of our avoidance of pain and avoidance of uncomfortable feelings, we tell ourselves, oh, who wants to be sad and think about the past? Move forward, get a better guy and have a good life. Enjoy yourself. And it all sounds great, but we have to realize we can learn a lot from the past and then that could actually help us create a better relationship. And if we don't learn from the past, we are much more likely doomed to repeat the same mistakes. So we're not necessarily going to just create something better next time. So if we think what happened to me was just bad luck or he was a bad guy or whatever it is and we put it on the only on the outside, we miss the part that we're also responsible that we helped create the situation and we helped either not avoid or not see what was in front of us and then we can end up in the same place again. Um, so I think your daughter... From what you're telling me, and I don't know a lot, and if I talked to her, of course, it would be very different too, but there's still a lot for her to learn and realize from what she went through, both about herself and relationships in general, that will then help better prepare her for this next one. Because if she still thinks it was just bad luck what happened with him, or it was just him, and you never know somebody, she'll miss the part that she's a lot more responsible for what happened than maybe she's giving herself credit for. And it's not about blame but it's understanding yourself and your contribution and your responsibility for what happened because with that, you then realize I can create something different. But if we just think it was bad luck, then it's up to luck again to see what happens next time. So right. um, that's why I think, I, I, you know, even for her to reflect on her own, but also going to therapy would be a good idea to really look at what happened there to understand it better. And then, yeah, there's lots of things I could give general advice about making sure the person is someone who can put someone else first also, that they can take you into account. That's very important, that they're a caring person, that they're open to talking about emotions and feelings and the relationship. And so there's a lot of things you can look for that are important, that are generalities. But I think for your daughter, something that's missing is that she thinks what happened was just a matter of chance. And that's going to not allow her to learn the lessons to then apply it to whatever relationship she creates in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think so. She thinks that this is her luck. She she says maybe because she was too young and she was too busy studying, she didn't have the chance to to the, know him as good. You maybe, know? but uh, those are, kind, you know, again, I mean, too young, she's 36, and I don't know exactly when this ended, but it probably wasn't that long ago. So, I mean, I'm not going to give her those excuses that I was too young. Um, to know, you know, again, the, the wedding was called off. That should have been huge. And three more years, that, that's a long time. So uh, that's why I'm saying it's not about blame, but about understanding that, you know what, it could have gone differently. I could have done things differently. And that's good because I can do it differently next time. So that's that's my point is for her to look more at that, to understand why she didn't see it and to just say I was busy or school that's kind of an easy way out, you know, that it's kind of not right. taking the whole, we're trying to understand what happened. Again, it's to empower her, not to blame her. 
Yeah, or maybe I'm thinking the main problem was because she grew up here. I'm calling from Canada. Mm-hmm. She grew up here, and we belong as parents, like his parents or all parents. We grew up back home, and we have a different uh, view from, um, you know, like how Iranian people, a lot of tarot and a lot of things, involved in their relationship and when kids they grow up here they don't have these things as much and then his mother was very um uh like expecting a lot of these things you know toward like from my daughter toward her and mm-hmm. maybe because um, different i should say different culture because when kids they grow up here they're a little bit different from growing up back home so I, I'm thinking maybe that was the main problem. That's why he's she's thinking not to like to go with other nationality, not not to date. Um, well, uh, I mean, not Iranian. everyone. But again, you know, because she she thinks that she doesn't know how to talk to them, and you know, and then they get upset. Or I, don't, I, I mean, think look, that was the main cause. The okay. Main problem. Well, I mean, look, if it's someone more like her culturally, that'll be okay. But again, when the when things started not going okay, and the mom was showing these things, and the, and her partner was not standing up for her, those are the things she needs to pay attention to. So she has to realize, okay, if your partner starts listening to your mom and not caring about you, that's a red flag. And I should learn. These are the lessons I'm talking about learning, not just generalizing all Persians are bad because of this man and this mom. That to me is not the right determination. More okay when someone acts this way, don't accept it. This is a red flag. Go the other way. Break up, even if it's been a long time. That's the lesson. More not that Persians are bad. Date a non-Persian. That to me would not be the right conclusion. I'm not saying she shouldn't date non-Persians, but I wouldn't want her conclusion from that experience to be you have to date a non-Persian. Not every Persian, uh, you know, mom is going to act that way. Maybe a lot do, but not all of them are going to be the way you're describing this situation. So the general, even the way you but ask she me... Believe, she believes that it was him, his problem. Okay, that good. Then if it was his stand problem, up to the mother. Abs- and I agree but with that. Then that she, she needs... She's uncomfortable when dating Iranian. Like, she says she doesn't know how to deal with them, and maybe that's why... Uh, she lost in the other one because she didn't know how to, you know. No, but but again, you're kind of I, how I, to my, satisfy the mother. I know, but my but that's, she had a lot on. of expectation from her. Okay, but again, so I don't know. You're what you're saying is a little bit all over the place. You're saying it was him, and then you're saying it's Iranians. If it was him, that's it him. was him. Yes. Okay, yes. so then it's not all Iranian men have to be that way, and all Iranian. No, no, not. I mean, yeah, no, you're okay. right. So that's what I'm saying. What you're looking for, even your initial question was a very general blanket. What should she look for? These things are not that black and white. It's not that simple. And I wouldn't look for these. Okay, now I know it's not Iranian men. I'm going to date a non-Iranian guy and it's going to work out so easily. These are the, it almost looks like too simplistic of a way of approaching this. And that's my concern is that her conclusions are being too black and white. Okay, it's Iranian men. I don't know how to talk to them and satisfy the mom, so I have to... No, be with an Iranian man who doesn't want you to have to satisfy their mom. That's yes, more... Yeah. And when you see no, them... No, I understand that it was his problem, that he didn't know how to how to stop mom or how to talk to his mom or, you know, like it was his problem. I understand that. Right, but I want her In to... In general, she says she's not comfortable with 
Maybe because she's scared from uh, her past uh, relationship. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think she hasn't healed from this. So as much as you tell me she's ready to date, it seems like there's too much baggage she's carrying from that into her dating now that I would say is getting in the way. Yeah. No, but now she wants to know... She wants to know what are the basic things that you have to look with, you know, when you, you're dating somebody. I but, know it is hard to know the person, but, here's but what the are thing. the basic here's things the thing. that you have I to follow? Bet, I mean, the way you're describing the situation, this guy had those basic things. So it, it's not, there's no, I can't give you a, if they, you know, people are looking for, if your guy does these eight things, he's a keeper. That, that life isn't like that. There isn't those, I can just tell you. If he does these five things, you should marry him. It doesn't work like that. It's a lot more complicated. There are some things we can look at that are important, but I think she's looking for some foolproof way, and there isn't that. She has to learn from the, the messy past and realize it's going to be messy going forward too. And so there isn't this, you know, if you look for these things, and for sure it's going to be good. I can't tell you that. There's probably... A lot of things this guy did that were good, and then when the mom got into the picture, it became really bad. And she has to say, okay, when I see that, I'm running next time. That's not going to be okay. I'm not going to accept that. If he's going to let the mom run the show, if he's going to let the mom interfere with our relationship, that's already a red flag. I don't have to wait three years next time. I'm going to end it sooner. So that that's kind of what it is. like To have this... Here are the things you're going to look for. Yes, yeah, someone who cares about you, someone who's a caring person, someone, like I said, who wants to talk about the relationship, someone who wants to talk about feelings. Those are all important things to me, of course, if they matter to her. But that there isn't some way of knowing that what, what you're talking about. If she doesn't want to learn from those, if she wants to just move on and not learn from it, she's almost doomed to repeat the same mistakes. Right. Okay. I do have other callers waiting. So, I mean, if she wants to call back in, I'd be more ha than happy to talk to her on another show because I can have a much de different conversation with her. Um, but, you know, that that hopefully can be for another time. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We'll be sure next commercial break. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hambra you're on the air hello yes hi thanks for calling oh uh, yeah thank you for accepting my call actually so uh i'm actually a public health student mm -hmm. at a university in texas and i'm also pre-med at the same time and within like the last probably last semester i would say and this is like i'm gonna start my junior year this semester mm -hmm. this upcoming semester and so i've just been having like some doubts in regards to the whole career choice that I'm like making uh, okay. so I was wondering like like what should I look at before I completely like take the MCAT and all those steps and also another thing is um, sometimes I notice that I procrastinate on certain things that I shouldn't probably but I mean like it hasn't impacted me like regarding my grade or anything like my grades and everything are fine it's just I leave it for last minute and I do it last minute. I was wondering what can be the possible cause of that and how can I resolve it possibly? Okay. Well, yeah, procrastination is something that everyone has done in their life at some point. And um, even if you're saying there wasn't any tangible 
consequences as far as your grades. We know you've created a lot more stress for yourself. And usually right. you procrastinate um, for a few different reasons, but a big one can be in what I'm hearing in you is maybe a, a sense of perfectionism or wanting to get things exactly right. So you put it off because you don't want to to start that process of maybe making a mistake or getting it wrong or not doing it perfectly. But it could also be related to this idea that you're not sure if you're doing what you want to do. So you're putting off the work because in a way you're not sure you want to do it. So um, as far as the, you know, knowing what you want to do, we have to um, look at a few different aspects of this. First of all, really trying to get in touch with why do I want to and when you're asking as far as you're saying going pre-med, correct? Like going into right. medicine. So you have to really ask yourself, like, where, where did I, where does this come from? This desire to be a doctor? Is it really from me? Is it from family pressure or attention or approval, society? Where is that coming from? So we have to think about that. And then the other thing we also have to be aware of is we want to make sure that what you're feeling right now, this doubt isn't coming from a place of the fear of the hard work, the fear of failure, the fear of what can happen in going down this path, which there could be part of you that wants to avoid too. And that's what makes these types of um, realizations or these types of reflections so difficult is that there's so many layers and complexities to it that it's not just clear that if you say, oh, I don't feel like doing it, we know that means you shouldn't do it or it's not what you really want to do because there can be a lot of reasons for that. So when it comes to wanting to be um, a doctor, where do you yourself understand that as coming from? Uh, I primarily, like, I mean, ever since I've been little, like, I've noticed, like, that I have, like, a very, like, massive interest towards like medicine and like anything like healthcare related rather than like something like engineering or something that has to do with like building something or mm -hmm. such matters so i guess it just sparked from there and then like um like before i actually started college or like picked my major and everything i actually spoke uh, with your father in regard to the same exact topic mm -hmm. and what he recommended was that i should like do like a double major in, because I was interested in also economics and between like I was stuck between the two and I ended up just picking public health because I just noticed that it covered like out like a sociological aspect of healthcare rather than just like a biology major that's just on one thing and just the science aspect so it just kind of sparked from different things and I started like volunteering and shadowing and such and kind of followed and I don't know, like I never lost interest in it rather than I started doubting based on what you said, like the fear of like not getting in and what if I don't get in and what happens if I don't get in mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And so if that's the case, if you're saying, you know, cause sometimes people say, you know, when I was a kid, first of all, when I was like six, I used to tell people I want to be a doctor and I remember how positively they would respond made me keep saying it you know although i think i did actually like it too um but that's why i'm asking you have to really look at where is it coming from because sometimes our decisions are made so far back and really for reasons other than what we actually want that we have to take a look at that but it seems like you're saying that once you've shadowed and gotten into the field a little bit more and studying it your interest hasn't gotten less you still enjoy it you still find it interesting and your desire to be a doctor it, it seems like it's still there right Yes, sir. Okay. So then that's telling us, yeah, you know, it, it seems to be more of this fear of 
of failure, fear of not, what if I don't get in? And um, the way you talk and the way you've expressed things so far, it seems like you've, you're used to success academically. Is that, has that been your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I have, yeah, I haven't like gotten like a low grade in any of my college mm-hmm. classes or any class for that matter till now. And like, yeah, so, so far, yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, like that fear of uh, failure um, and there might be some perfectionism in you. And so here faced with this really daunting challenge, there is this feeling that it would be nicer to not have to face it because when we have perfectionism and when we have this mindset, we can sometimes call it the fixed mindset of success means I'm smart, not succeeding means I'm stupid or worthless or even worse kinds of things. Um, Then there's a lot of fear in taking on a big challenge because it could confirm something really negative. We could get some, not just bad news, but bad news about who I am at my core. And I think that seems to be what's, what from we've just a few minutes we've talked, what might be driving this. Now, we kind of started this segment late, and I want to get to continue talking to you. So hold on the line, and after the break, we'll talk some more, okay? Okay. Okay, sure. all right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. back before the break we were with a caller let's go back to him now caller are you still there uh yes i am okay all right so you were talking about um trying to decide or make sure that what you've decided to as far as being pre-med and following through with the mcat and 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 those types of things if that's the right decision now we've only talked a few minutes what are what are your thoughts about what we've talked about so far as far as thinking about if it's the right decision or what feelings you have about it so actually, yeah, I mean, uh, what you said regarding being a perfectionist, it's probably like, it's absolutely true because, I mean, I have noticed that in regard to the way I take notes or like, I mean, I, and since I started like doing sociology, it, it had like some psychology courses within it. And I noticed like certain patterns in my own personality of like setting like really high goals in different things or like trying to get like basically something that like no one else would not necessarily mm-hmm. brag about it but rather just like to achieve it for myself and i think that's one of the main things and sometimes that leads to like the fact that like even if i get an a in like like in a course that's like difficult like organic chemistry or something i would still like sometimes feel under accomplished and that's why i was like that's why i started having doubts about mm. the whole medical school everything and I applied for a program actually last semester. It was like a facilitated program that like I applied for and I got an interview for it and I got rejected from the interview. And the reason that they said it was because um, I couldn't show like my commitment to medicine. So that sparked the same idea Hmm. again also. Interesting. Okay. Um, Yeah. You know, so it seems like when you talk about setting a high bar for yourself, and not necessarily to brag, I can believe that because I think when you, you describe yourself as a perfectionist, reaching that high bar, achieving some kind of perfect, which is we're never perfect, but what might feel like perfect in the situation, we do that just to validate that we're okay. And it's not actually makes us good, but we know that if we fail, it makes us feel like we're nothing, that we're not good at all, which is the problem is that for a perfectionist, every 
test, every whatever it is, is not an opportunity to feel good about ourselves. It's just to avoid feeling bad about ourselves. And so when the challenges become bigger and scarier, then, well, we become more afraid that we're going to face something that we can't conquer and we'd rather just avoid it altogether. Um, so when they said you didn't have that commitment to medicine, did they explain why they thought that, or how do you think you showed them that you were not so committed to the field of medicine? Uh, so actually, I tried asking them, and because like I caught like when we got our results, and um, I asked them, I was like, uh, like what's the main reason? And they didn't tell me because they were like it would be unfair to other applicants who are applying in the regular cycle like next year with me. I see. And so I. I actually don't know the main reason, but, like, the main reason, like, they said everything else about my application regarding, like, uh, grades or volunteering or uh, basically, like, test scores from high school and whatnot, they were fine, but it was just rather, like, the answer that I gave them in regards to why I wanted to do medicine because they specifically asked that question from me. Uh, it was more like the fact that uh, it was just, like, what he didn't say rehearse, but he mentioned mm -hmm. that, like, it was like you had it in the back of your mind. And I don't understand what's wrong with having it in the back of my mind because yeah. I mean, it's been there, but I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. And um, probably what they're saying is it maybe didn't feel genuine was possibly what their concern was. So even if you said the right things, they weren't sure if you felt it or believed it. But you're right. I mean, anyone going on an interview... Um, prepares answers and thinks of the likely questions they're going to be asked, so they might already know them, but maybe something about how you responded just didn't feel genuine to them. But let me ask you that question right now, or let's think about it now. What makes you want to go into the field of medicine? So it actually all began with, like, uh, so I, I never, like, saw uh, three of my grandparents besides one of them, like they passed away before I was born and so uh, one of them that was alive she passed away when I was in first grade and she passed like the reason that she passed away was like a medical diagnosis that was like like they prescribed basically a surgery and that should have not happened mm. and the doctor admitted it afterward so from there I guess it was just like it was really like it was really a sad experience that led to the fact that I was like okay maybe I can't bring that maybe I can prevent from that. And mm -hmm. uh, so it began from there. And then as it continued, uh, I had a half brother who also passed away, but his, like the reason that he passed away was not because of a medical diagnosis, but rather how he took care of his own body, like what, like regarding alcohol and whatnot. So mm -hmm. from there, that was another reason. And then, um, as I further, like, just, like, got into, like, shadowing and seeing different physicians, um, how they interacted with people and, like, the whole field as itself, it's just, I, it's one of those things that, like, I feel like if I do anything else, I'll be doing something wrong to myself. Like, it, I, it would feel wrong if I'm not, like, doing that. Mean, if you're like not a doctor? Only, right. Like, it's, like, one of the only things that I can't see myself doing, basically, and be happy about it. Okay. And so do you feel like you'll be good at it? I, I think so, yeah. Okay. So then what do you think, what are you, what's keep holding you back right now? What's keeping you from going forward? Uh, it, it honestly sparked most of it from that interview and hearing that I wasn't committed enough. And I think I'm doing everything that I can, but I think that's where, like, the fear of, like, unknown rather than just, like, like if I don't get in, I know I can't, like, reapply or anything. 
but it's just the fear of not knowing what like not knowing if I will get in or if I will not get in. Well, I'll tell you what you you're talking about getting into med school. Uh, right. Yeah. So I wouldn't want you to apply or to not apply because you won't get in or you don't know. Um, I guess, you know, that's another indication that the fear of failing is very strong for you. But if you want something, I would hope that you go for it without knowing the result, because we don't. If you really want something, nothing's guaranteed. And I think, again, you're so used to being successful in what you're doing academically that you're not used to things being up in the air. But yeah, going to med school is very difficult. The MCAT is a very difficult test and you're not going to get a perfect score on it no matter what you're going to hopefully get a strong score a good score and then getting into med school is very difficult it is very competitive but it does sound like that fear of failure is what's creating a lot of your doubt or making you want to avoid it altogether it's become this big monster this fear of failure that you'd rather just turn away from and i really would hope you don't turn away from a career that it seems like you think is the only one that makes sense for you, that's a dream for you, that you feel you'd be good at, that means something for you because of a fear of failure. Um, to me, that would be making the wrong choice. I'm very much you know, okay with people deciding to change their careers even, let alone, of course, changing their educational path at some point when they are doing it for the right reasons. They realize they're passionate about something else or they were following a career path because of pressure from parents or family or whatever other reasons. Those are great reasons to change careers. But to change it because you're afraid of failing or that you can't cut it, that to me would not be the right reason. And for that reason, I would hope you really do keep going forward. And, you know, they told you something about your commitment to uh, medicine or whatever it might be. And I would take it one you want to always take it as some information, so maybe there's something to it, but not as defining you. Just because this one individual or this one group or whatever it was wasn't sure about your dedication, that doesn't mean they're right and they've judged you and branded you as not a doctor or not you know, someone who should be in the medical field. It could be taken in as information. Maybe I presented myself a certain way. Maybe there are some doubts in me and they picked up on that. Or maybe they just didn't really see me for who I am, and that can happen too. But I wouldn't want you to make the whole determination just because someone said something one time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. And surprisingly, I took, like, an aptitude test right after, like, um, I got, like, once I heard about, like, the interview to see if, like, even, like, like a standardized test that's, like, built based on personality and whatnot. And funny enough, like, out of, like, my 12, like, top matches, nine of them are like medically related mm-hmm. so I, I'm, yeah. I think that's the right choice it uh, seems like it is and you know something else you know we're definitely hearing and this relates to perfectionism is self-doubt you know that when they said that it seems like you quickly took that test and I can understand that you did that uh, but I feel this in how you're talking that it's, it can be easy for you to doubt yourself too and to um, be unsure of yourself and so that makes you unsure of making this decision. So that's also a deeper thing to look at, self-esteem, how do you value yourself when you're not successful or when you don't necessarily produce something because you're always worth something, even if you're not you know, getting a good grade or doing anything. And I think you're definitely, it seems like your self-worth and your self-esteem is very much tied into achievements and success. 
and that itself can be an issue because, you know, I, I hope you really do go down this path of medicine, but you're going to face lots of challenges and setbacks and maybe even what we might consider a failure or not getting into a certain this or that. And you have to be ready for that. And I don't want you to feel that your self-worth is going to be so tied into achievement and success that you value yourself just for being you and for who you are, that you're worthy of love and respect and people will like you and love you regardless of those things. So that's also something that I want you to be aware of is that um, there is this huge connection you have between achievement and your self-esteem. Right. Well, yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I actually don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not, there's not necessarily, you don't need to say anything or have an answer, but something to think about and even working on, um, whether it's in your own therapy and, and continuing to reflect on yourself, because life is going to be challenging. And, you know, going into the medical field, it's going to get more and more competitive. You're going to be working against very smart people who are also going to be working very hard. So, things won't always go the way you want them to go or you know you won't always be guaranteed success and we don't want you to feel that your success is the only reason that you feel worthy of love and attention and appreciation do you when i say that even in your family was that something that was that emphasized a lot uh, achievement or success or specifically your achievement or was it a way that you stood out in your family Actually, uh, surprisingly, like, my parents, like, I don't remember a single time that they were like, oh, you should study right now. Like, you shouldn't, mm. like, I don't know, like, play video games or, like, play soccer or something. You should study instead of doing that. Like, I don't remember a single time that, like, my parents were, like, pushing on that or anything. Mm. Yeah, I actually don't know where it stems from. Maybe, like, like further in my family, just, like, because I'm, like, also the youngest one in my entire family. Mm -hmm. And so maybe, I don't know, like, being around older cousins and whatnot that might have like caused yeah. that so yeah that can be related to kind of feeling uh, less than or not as good as the other ones like you have to try to shine and you even mentioned i'm assuming your half brother was much older than you yes he was uh so i think he was around like 15 years older than me so mm -hmm. yeah yeah, so uh, did, did you have any other siblings that were full siblings? Uh, I do not know. Okay, so there was that kind of isolation too, so maybe you know that could be related to it also. Even in how you talk or communicate, I feel um, it's hard to even describe it, like a, a loneliness in how you talk or how I'm you know, communicating with you. That I, I'm just picturing this lonely boy, even as a young kid. So I don't know if you feel that yourself, but there's something about that, and that could be related to this feeling that I need to sh somehow shine so I get a 